When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I remember taking that pill and having that feeling of, oh my God, I can take something outside of me to fix something inside of me. And I chased that, you know, and like that, that was the first time that I think that I really sunk my teeth into, um, you know, walking that path of someone with substance abuse disorder, you know, like that was it right there. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, okay? yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode 142. I've recorded three podcasts today, and I feel alive as ever. <laughs> so today, I got my buddy Drew with me. Drew, how you doing, dude? Man, I'm doing great. Been looking forward to this, Kyle. Thank you, bud. Nice. Yeah, of course. Well, um, you know, we shoot the shit all the time on Twitter. And um, I've always found you to be not only a inspiring person, but a uh, voice that often calls for reason and doesn't uh, go for the jugular as people typically do on Twitter. And I'm definitely, um, you know, no better, no worse, <laughs> because I, I, I sometimes like to uh, get into the Twitter spats. So um, give a brief introduction to yourself, what you do, who you are. And uh, yeah, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So I'm just kind of the, uh, it's, I don't know, man. I, I started out, I'm the clean libertarian, uh, known on Twitter as such, uh, have a podcast where I talk a lot about drug policy and recovery. Um, I'm chair of the libertarian party silver caucus. Um, and then I'm also the, uh, founder and I guess executive director of out of harm's way, OKC, a, a newly formed harm reduction organization out of Oklahoma city. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. So um, I kind of want to lay something out for you. And I'm really curious about this because I'm really not that informed on drug stuff. So I'm um, to give a little bit of a background of who I am. And maybe you can um, provide a little bit of, inner, you know, insight into my brain here. Um, I, I wanted that completely fucked up. But <laughs> um, I live in rural Pennsylvania. And I come from a pretty conservative background. Um, and the way that I hear a lot of people talk about drug addicts is that they'll say, oh, well, once you do heroin or anything like that, once you're done, take you out to the woodshed, and, you know, you're, you're as good as gone. And to me, that always seemed a little silly. And I've never smoked weed, never smoked a cigarette, never done. I, the only thing I really do is drink alcohol. And um, that's not even all that frequent. Um I always felt like that approach was pretty extreme. <laughs> I'm sure everybody could probably see why I feel that way. But um you know, you're a shining example of somebody who recovered. So um, I guess 
when another little nuance I should add is that my fiance is actually an EMT as well. And she doesn't have a harsh view on people who do drugs, but she does complain about um, giving people um, not fentanyl, but uh, uh, Narcan, Narcan, Narcan. There you go. And I, I don't necessarily know where I was going with this, but um, <laughs> what, what, um, the harm reduction program you're doing is this kind of, I, I see you saying that you often help people. So I guess kind of lay out what that is and how that's been for you. So like, you know, I used, to, I used out here like this, the streets and the, and some of the spots that I'm delivering to are places that I was like trapped in active addiction for a long time. <clears throat> Oklahoma has a, a prescription requirement for clean syringes. So back when I got hepatitis C, I knew exactly when I was going to get it. And uh, I ran that risk anyway. You know, um, the way that I see it is, is that these individuals have uh, the drug, their drug of choice already. There's nothing I'm, you, me, anybody else is going to be able to say or do short of throwing them in prison for the rest of their life to stop that from happening. And side note, our prisons are flooded with dope as it is. Okay, so you're not even fixing the problem in there. You're literally just creating a bigger burden on the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. um, so what we seek to do is educate first off and foremost about, hey, this is a safe practice. Hey, this is an unsafe practice. So we provide clean syringes. We provide uh, Narcan and we provide fentanyl test strips. So people can, you know, test their, their narcotics to see if there's a presence of fentanyl or not. Um, in the time that we've been open, um, which has been about two and a half months now, we have had 55 plus overdose reversals as a result of our kits. Wow. Now that's just, dude, that's just two and a half months, dude. I mean, it's insane. Um, and that's just in Oklahoma city. That's not statewide. That's just in a small urban area of our community. Mm -hmm. So for me, it has been a lot of, um, opening, uh, change to my perspective, um, like I knew from the outset that we were going to have, have an impact. I did not know that it was going to be this. Um, so that's been, you know, first off and foremost of it. And the other part is like, whenever you get to know the uh, person with substance abuse disorder in your local community, they stop being a caricature that are thrown in the news cycle and they start becoming a human being. You start to understand, oh shit, there is a lot more at play here than simply, hey, Jimmy won't stop using drugs. Like Jimmy got fucked up a lot whenever he was a kid. Jimmy got a raw hand dealt to him. Like there's some of these people and Jimmy is not even a participant we have. I'm just throwing a random name out there. But um, there's a lot of these individuals that like, the more I get to hear about their story, the more my eyes open to, man, how does this get fixed, you know, and, and just being able to level with them and talking to them like a human. Um, I think that's, that's been the biggest impact that I've been able to have. And man, I'm going to be real honest with you, Kyle. Like I initially for real, for real got clean in 2012 and in 2019, I had a very public relapse and I was like off to the races. It was not okay. Um, shit, I had the clean libertarian was a blog at that point. It wasn't even a podcast. And so like I'd already gained a little bit of a following and it was not okay. But it was when I was out, I was out for about four months in that relapse. And it was the people who hit me up and said, hey, man, I had a lot of time once 
I went back out. Just don't fuck yourself off on this. Like, be. Can I cuss? By the way, my God, I'm sorry, dude. Dude, you're dude, good. Okay, you're good. My God, like, man, I don't have. I have a broad vocabulary, but for some reason, when I'm freestyling, it just the, the curse words come out. I did. Don't um, worry about it. <laughs> but, but it was the people who talked to me like a like a human and checked in with care and compassion, not to judge me or criticize, but to say, hey, don't be sorry, just be safe that kept me around. And so like, there's been quite a few people that I've ran across that like, maybe I knew them from the meetings around town. Um, maybe I knew them from elsewhere, or maybe I'm hearing their story for the first time, but I'm able to give my personal experience in that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And say, Hey, stop kicking yourself in the teeth. Everything is going to work out. I just need you to get your foot off your neck for a little bit and be safe tonight. That's it. That's all I need you to do. And those conversations, man, it's, yeah, it makes it all worthwhile. So it, I could almost take this one or, you know, one of two ways, but I, I want to take the high road here and say that um, being around all that has to kind of kick you in the ball sometimes. Cause like, man, this is tough shit, but though knowing that you're making a difference and especially you've almost had one person saved a day since you started you're not quite there i mean you're probably like what 80 percent, 55 in about two and a half months it's pretty damn good and that's people that could be gone right i mean they, they could no longer be here yeah. um do you feel hopeful for these people and does it seem i feel like the pushback you may get would be well you're just enabling them does it seem like that or do these people tend to say like i'm going to get better and does that seem to help them there's there are some you know um and the benefit is so like obviously i'm in recovery and i'm plugged into resources in the area so when the time comes that they approach me mm -hmm. with that line of you know thought or a question like hey how do i get clean I'm able to to help them out. So yeah, there's a lot of hope that's there. In the time that we've been operating, there is three people that I know of right now who we used to deliver kids to that they are actually killing it. I got one individual um, who is actually leading their sober house where they're at. They're doing great at work. They're reunited with their family. Like they got their life back on track in just a couple of short months. And that's because there was somebody that was there when they were at their lowest who met them where they were at. What's up, everybody? Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by Element T Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance, or definitely cardio performance, would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. And let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, <laughs> like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, even coconut, and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So, uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash inliberty and health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys, thanks. Okay. There's another side to this though, too, man. And, and this, it sounds crazy, but like 
I'm, I'm beginning to open my eyes to this more and more. Not everybody who may appear like an addict from the outside is actually an addict. Prohibition being what it is, gives the appearance to a lot of individuals who would not have any problems or con or any type of negativity going on in their life otherwise. Mm -hmm. Okay. If some of these substances weren't against the law, like these are people who like consistently they're showing up for work. They're going to work every single day. They're hitting us up for a kit because they literally have no other way to get clean syringes. They, it doesn't exist, man. Narcan costs 60 bucks for a damn dose. Like they don't have the money for that, you know? So looking at this um, from a ground floor perspective, like um, I, it, there's a lot of realism involved. Um, that's not to say that there aren't some people who are just like, <laughs> I mean, they're gone for right now, you know, like mm -hmm. they need help. They definitely need help and they're gone and they are not ready to get help yet. But um, dead people can't recover. So at the very least, you know, they're, we're, we're helping to ensure that they keep that pulse going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is such an interesting topic to me because um, there's so much psychological, physiological and mental kind of deals that go into this. So um, for you, when you decide to get clean the first time, was there like kind of a rock bottom moment? Because to me, it almost seems like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, but there usually has to be kind of a clean break. Like, so for me, when it came to kind of reclaiming my health, I was 23 years old and um, my fiance had a, uh, has a gluten allergy. And that was the first kind of seed in my brain that said, Hey, nutrition plays a role. You dummy. Like I, I lifted for years before then, but I'm, I was 250 pounds and I was I had suicidal thoughts and digestive issues, plenty of issues that I thought were just kind of that's, that's life. But then, um, you know, long story short, I went on a carnivore diet and then, you know, kind of learned how to diet properly. Um, was it just kind of like, what was your story that kind of made you decide to get clean? Man, for me, there was a lot of moments, right? That was like a culmination. Mm -hmm. um, I got a flat spot on my forehead from that brick wall because it just never gave, but I was sure that it would eventually, you yeah. know? Um, I can tell you one time in particular that stood out to me more than anything else. And that was really, really at the end was... I was sitting in Oklahoma County Jail. Um, I, I had uh, been picked up on a, a uh, arraignment warrant for prescription fraud. And um, I had lost custody of my daughter to my mom. My mom came and got her. I mean, and rightfully so. Like, dude, I was not fit to be a parent at that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, you know, I, I was calling her up and I'm, I'm hounding my mom about like, why am I still in jail? How come I don't have money on my books? Like, what the fuck? I thought we were family. I thought you loved me, blah, blah, blah. She interrupted me and she said, you know what? You haven't even asked about your kid. And she said, let me go ahead and fill you in on an update. She has been calling you every single day. And mind you, I'm in jail. So I'm like, we don't get calls in here. She was like, I bought her a toy cell phone, Drew. She's been calling you on her toy cell phone. And like, dude, I broke down. Like that was, that was a kick in the teeth, you know? Um, I was, I was of the variety of uh drug addict that was so wrapped up in self and, and I was just perpetually just selfish, uh, self-serving on every, every sense of the word. And, um, that was one of those moments though, that took me straight out of that and was like, fuck, I've been messing up, 
you know, um, others, you know, I, I've had friends, uh, die from an overdose right in front of me, like going to their funeral, meeting their parents for the first time at their fucking funeral, like, dude, not good. You know, um, I've seen a lot of sadness, death and destruction, you know, um, throughout addiction, but, um, you know, I, I, I think it's all about learning the lesson whenever you go through it. And, uh, thank God that there was people who like put, do, cause here's the thing, man, I've been to treatment 20 times. I've been to inpatient treatment 20 fucking times in my life, dude. There were people who refused to give up on me and thank God that they didn't, you know, cause I finally got it. But, um, but yeah. That's a long way around the barn answering your question, dude. There's no, a that. yeah. that's wow. Yeah, that that might be one of the most heaviest things I've ever heard on this podcast in 142 episodes. That's yeah. unreal. I, I I can't imagine. I, I'm borderline <laughs> speechless. Like I said, that's probably the heaviest thing I've ever had anyone say on a podcast. So, um, how is your relationship with your family, and is it kind of weird? thinking where you were to where you are now because I, I noticed your updates on twitter about your fitness journey and i want to talk about this a little bit later For but sure. I, I mean you just I, I can't imagine being where you were at one point and this isn't to dog on you but now like to where you are it just seems like you're so much happier so much healthier and like just a positive force for good in your community like the ideal situation libertarians should strive for somebody that's just a relentless force for good that doesn't tear people down i i can't think of a better way to put it than that well i'll tell you man every good thing that i do today is making up for a bad thing that i did back then mm -hmm. and i struggled with mental illness on this side of my uh first run at sobriety for a long time man um, like for real mental illness. And I, I didn't know how to get help for it. Like there was some not okay moments in my life. Um, and I, I learned throughout that, that I didn't need to utilize, uh, drugs to fuck my, <laughs> fuck my life up. I'm pretty good about doing that regardless, but, um, <clears throat> to loop that into, you know, kind of like where I stand with my family, um, throughout the process of kind of, looking at some of my mental health stuff and like going over some therapy and other things. Like I was able to really put my relationships that I had my family underneath a microscope. And um, I, I've never said this on a podcast before, but like the reality of the situation is, is I was a black sheep for so very long that when I became independent and didn't need anybody else's help, my family didn't really know how to deal with that. And so we grew distant and we still are very distant. Like there was some of those relationships that had to kind of go away. Um, some were just kind of barely hanging on, but, you know, um, I figure life is like that, you know, um, we're still there for each other if we need be, but like, mm -hmm. there's no, I don't think any kind of necessarily bad blood. It's just like, we play different roles in each other's lives than we once did. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's a, that's that on the family stuff. And I, you know, I have one sibling that I used with for a long time. And that's when we got really close is getting high together. And then now that like, we're both clean, like we barely talk anymore. It's just different. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's the other part of it. But I think that's kind of uh, just because somebody is your blood relative doesn't mean that there's some like, you know, biological 
you know, difference in between the relationship that you build with them or that you build with your friends. Sure. Uh, there's chapters in life, man, people come and go, it's just a part of it. So, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know, man, like when it comes to like the stuff that I do, I do what I do because it makes me feel better about, um, all of the people who like invested in me for a long time, all of the people who refused to give up, all of the people who treated me like a human when I absolutely didn't deserve it. And so it's not even like, I don't know, man, it's hard. It's hard to explain. And plus it feels right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't feel like such a piece of shit at the end of the day when I do good things for other people. Yeah. It works out for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, when it comes to kind of your initial experimentation and when you kind of got hooked, um, what was your environment like in about what age? When I was in middle school, I remember everybody was smoking weed. And then obviously there were a decent bit of kids throughout, you know, my younger years that had passed away from overdoses or hanging themselves and stuff like that, which, you know, I'm sure you know just as well as I do that when you're a kid, that shit just fucking hits like a ton of bricks, especially seeing yeah, people your age. And now I still think about when I see people that I know passed away, there's something that really speaks to you when you go to a funeral and you see people lined up out the door. I mean, that just really tells you the value of life to people and that we shouldn't take these vessels that we've been blessed with, um, for granted. Yeah. Um, so like for me, my jumping off point, like when I was in school, when I was, yeah, when I was in school, I was socially retarded. I don't know how else to describe it than that. Like, dude, I, I did not. <laughs> I didn't want to laugh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, bro, like, oh my God, I was not okay. You know, um, I fairly decent IQ, I, I think, I don't know, like, I, I will never forget my dad telling me. Cause I, I would always get in trouble though at school. Like I didn't have friends. I definitely didn't get along with the teachers and I would always get in trouble. And it was in one of those interactions where he's like really fucking mad at me for, for getting in trouble. He's like, you're not retarded. We had you tested. And then, <laughs> and then I realized <laughs> that I realized that those IQ tests weren't simply IQ tests. It was to figure out if I was actually on the spectrum or not. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus man. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, legitimately like all the indicators were there, so I don't fault them for t having me tested. Like, dude, I just couldn't get along, man. Um, and, and to like take it just to kind of take some of the fucking, uh, levity out of the room on you. Like there was a lot of abuse in my home growing up. Um, a lot of abuse. Um, uh, and so like for me, I would go, I, you know, home wasn't okay. I would go to school, get picked on, whatever. And I didn't have a spot. And I, re around this time, this was like right when the Johnny B. Good medications were getting pumped for like, you know, Ritalin, yeah. and Adderall, Vyvanse, all of that. And I remember they put me on one called Dexedrine. And for those that know Dexedrine, like it is uh, for real amphetamine like it is it is up there you know and and among that classification and, and i remember taking that pill and having that feeling of oh my god i can take something outside of me to fix something inside of me and i chased that you know and like that that was the first time that i think that i really sunk my teeth into um 
you know, walking that path of someone with substance abuse disorder, you know, like that was it right there. Yeah. And it's really sad to see that this just seems to be the common thing. And I've even seen people I personally know who have their kids on that kind of stuff. And I mean, it just zaps the freaking life out of them. Um, And I'm sure you probably feel a similar way, but we really treat boys today like defective girls. It's, it's really, really sad because, um, you know, they're too hyper and they're not going to learn the same way girls learn. So they just prescribe Ritalin like it's candy to boys. And I can't help but wonder if that is by design or if, you know, that kind of leads to what we see in like this male suicide epidemic and not that it's like this, huge overwhelming thing that's killing a ton of men but i mean the average age of men is decreasing over time and you know the vast majority of suicides are men so i i I question if these two are related and i would think that it probably is yeah yeah without a doubt um everything's over prescribed right that's not to say that everything doesn't have a purpose like i can The fucked up part about stimulants for me is like, I genuinely do struggle to stay on test. So like in certain work environments, I will not thrive. Like if you, if in order for me to do my job correctly, I need to sit in conferences throughout the week. I will blow my brains out. Like I cannot focus. I instantly get fucking tired. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with a stimulant, I'm able to focus. Like if you were to sit me down in a room and sit me at a conference that I really don't give a fuck about, I'll still be able to at least grasp generally what they're talking about. Without it, not going to happen. The problem with me with stimulants though is so like it can do the good, but then it'll also, like I don't know when to stop. I'm like, you know, I it's like I hit that, that pleasure receptor a certain type of way and I'm like, oh fuck, I want to keep doing that. Thus the overweightness because food, you know, you know, kind of did the same thing for me. And, you know, I'm, and now thank God, I'm finally to the point where the gym is doing that for me. And so like, you know, I'm, nice. I mean, it's a good fucking thing, you know, I'm now I'm now I'm starting to learn that like, I can find healthy things to, to um, take that up. And I'm also finding out and not taking stimulants to fix that part of my brain that man, I'm just not equipped and built to do any type of work environment like or or social environment like there's certain things i'm good at and certain things that i'm not and that's okay mm-hmm. but um yeah to get back to to the point like those drugs are absolutely 100% over prescribed mm-hmm. um i here's the thing like it's easy to find patterns of like nefarious potential and, and a lot of these decisions, but dude, I, our government and like the powers that be, I, they're not smart enough. I don't think to, to do that. They just like, what is it? Don't let a good crisis go to waste. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that once they, once they kind of see some of these trends starting to take effect, they're like, okay, let's hammer down with that. This is a good result. We like mm-hmm. this result. Let's keep doing this. Yeah. Uh, um, I've, th- this is something I used to think about a lot more because I remember when I was a kid, I noticed, and this is kind of what really poised me to 
kind of actually learn about politics was because Milo Yiannopoulos kind of came on the scene back in like 2000, what was it? 2014, 15. And he was an ardent anti-feminist. And I remember as a kid seeing the way that girls would get treated when they did something bad versus the way I got treated when I did something bad. And it was so disproportionate. And you kind of see that play out on a meta scale. That's not to say that women don't ever get punished or anything like that but you could see for certain things men get the brunt of it versus where women get let off the hook um that's what really kind of propelled me to think about some of the political stuff and kind of see like oh okay so we do typically really hammer on men um but it's really cool to hear you talk about how you kind of got the iron bug because i know exactly what that feels like and especially when you can kind of document progress over time like i've just always kind of been consistent with it but it really wasn't until about three years ago when i hammered it the nutrition that i was like oh okay and then start seeing the numbers go up and it's like okay deadlift 350 and then 400 450 500 and kind of just see the numbers go up and it's like man you get that itch and then at a certain point you're like i don't want to stop like you just want to keep going and then you have to tell yourself okay i have to back off like that's what's difficult for me now is to say like okay you're not going to the gym now (laughs) (laughs) man i mean here's i have tried this a million times like i've always been fluctuating in and out of being like you know a fat piece of shit and then uh and so like i'm um so this started in may and it really started when i got back from reno um that's when i really got serious and I stuck with it at long enough to where it became a thing. And you remember me getting injured about like four weeks ago, I pulled something in my rib cage in my side and I was so fucking terrified of not being able to go to the gym. Cause it's like, dude, I got this routine going, but um, I don't know, man, there's, there's a lot of things that I've picked up now that I didn't have before. Like used to, it would be like, I have to diet every meal all the time. And when I get off that diet, then it's just like, it's ruination, right? Like it's downward spiral instantly. I didn't allow myself any grace. Whereas like right now I do, like I will eat really, really well during the week. And I will also um, do really well on my routines and everything. And on the weekends, I allow myself a meal or two. Um, And I'm happy with it, dude. I'm still showing progress. Now, when the day comes that there's no progress being shown with that, then I'll need to adjust, but, and this has been at a pace that I created and I love it. You know what I mean? Like it's fucking cool, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm pushing 40. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, dude, just to know that, like, I still got it. I can still, you know, I can lift heavy shit and be okay. Nice. Yeah. So for me, when I did the carnivore diet, um, and this is what I try to impass on people all the time. When I see people saying, I'm just going to cut out carbs or I'm not going to do this. I'm, you make these hard line rules and maybe you can complement to this meta narrative I'm kind of building here. Um, when you make these hard rules on restricting stuff, when it comes to diet, especially that tends to create this artificial barrier where as soon as you kind of pass by that barrier, it's fucking all, all rules are off. And what I've found for me personally is that flexible dieting where literally I'll figure out how, if I can fit like calories for like a cheesecake or something in as dumb as this sounds, I fit it in and it's so much easier for me rather than um, anything else. Right. So like um, literally yesterday I went to Texas Day Brazil and to an ice cream place with my fiance. Yeah. yeah and, and enjoyed 
every last little bit of it. Well, and we also had Fred with us, but like then I was okay. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna take a little bit the rest of the week. And um, I did see a tweet earlier today, <laughs> and it, it makes me laugh because like nobody ever thinks about this. They freak out about one little incident, but um, the tweet was something to the degree of you go out, you see a you're at a party and you see a piece of cake on the counter. You eat the cake and you look the same tomorrow. <laughs> and like it, it's so funny because it's it's true. You gain a couple mm-hmm. pounds, you step on the scale, and it's like, oh fuck. But then you gotta realize, okay, yes, I gained a few pounds, but you know, this is just a temporary thing. If yeah. I stay on the plan, we're still gonna be successful. Yeah. We Gucci, man. <laughs> we're good. Here's the thing, like, um, for a lot of those years. So like my first job that I got that really helped me become a responsible adult was when I got my CDL and I started driving concrete trucks and that job, I mean, dude, I was working 70 hours on a fluctuating schedule. I sat in a truck all week long. So like I blew up like a balloon. So like, even when I fall off the beam now, because I have an active lifestyle, I mean, dude, it doesn't even compare to falling off the beam back then, you know, like, dude, I might've fucked up. I ate a cheeseburger tonight. I ate a cheeseburger for dinner. The world's not going to stop revolving. Like it's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to the gym tomorrow and I'm going to lift some heavy shit and call myself a fat ass in the mirror before I go. And it's going to be wonderful. And I'm going <laughs> to fat shame myself. It's going to be great, dude. Yeah. Everything's going to be all right. Nice. Yeah. No, I really, really like that attitude. And I think that's the attitude that a lot of people should take when it comes to dieting. And like I said, I really want to impass or put this on people that like, if you fail on one thing, you're not a failure, right? If you fail one day, one time, it's not a big deal. And this was hard for me to accept because I remember when I was doing carnivore, I would be good for a week or two. And then I would just binge. I would have two pieces of cheesecake, ice cream. I'd be eating all the sugary shit at home. And I feel like a failure. And that's such a bad mental place to be in because it's just like mental torture. You don't feel good enough. And then when you can finally get to the place where you find something a little bit more sustainable and then you do fall off the wagon, you're like, it just is what it is. You know, I got to kind of get back on and just keep working at it. So, and the other thing I kind of want to touch on when it comes to falling off the wagon is that if you do cheat on your diet, um, when you're depleted of glycogen, which you typically are when you're in a calorie restricted state, so you're taking less food than, um, than you're burning, so you're losing weight. Um, when you have that cheat meal, some of that actually goes to glycogen stores, which um, are the your basic your muscles energy stores, and some of that will kind of be it carries water with it, so you're going to gain a little bit of weight that way, and that weight actually comes off pretty quick, like within a day or two. So. Um, it, it's, it can be frustrating, but like I said, to kind of the meta narrative, you're one meal off and you're one meal back on. There it is, man. I like that. I like that a lot. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So when you were kind of on your road to recovery, was it a hard line thing or was it kind of like a, uh, a process where you kind of had to taper off? So like, <laughs> dude, most of the time when I like got cleaned up, it was cause I was in a jail cell. Like most of the time mm-hmm. and that sucks like that. But I will tell you the last time I went to jail, I had a month sober at the time. And so I, I prefer going to jail fucked up cause you can sleep for a few days at least, you know, but then it was just like, I raw dog that whole thing. But, uh, 
Yeah, I never did much in the way of tapering off, man. Um, I <laughs> like. I will send you a video of myself at my last. You'll see like a different side of me, dude. Like it is, it is off the rails going hard until I hit an actual immovable object. And so <clears throat> actually the last time I got clean, man, it was just one of those things where I was like, I, I want to be done. I'm going to, you know, get fucked up tonight and then I'm done. And I don't know why, I don't know how, but I did stick to it. But uh, yeah, dude, I have a lot of respect for people who are able to taper off or who are able to like, let's say they are on heroin and they are able to get off of heroin and just smoke pot and pot be the only thing for a long time. Like I would look at that and think they're not clean or they're not sober, but no, man, they fucking are, you know, like they're just doing it their own way. Um I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but yeah, I'm just saying like, that's not something that I'm capable of doing. Like it really is all or nothing for me. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I could, I could understand that. Uh, It's not, it's such an interesting conversation to me, but just because it's so outside of my purview, I had a question and it it just slipped my mind. God damn it. Um, When, God damn it. I can't believe it just slipped my mind. <laughs> no, but yeah, but one thing yeah. I one thing I will say too is that so like my drug of choice was meth. Like that was I like to go fast. And so um now I did, you know, like to throw heroin into the mix. Um in my last uh run, like fentanyl was ever present and I knew it was out there and it scared the <laughs> shit out of me. So I didn't really dabble too much in opiates, but like with meth, there there is like a getting better phase with it, but it pretty much just consists of, you know, you're malnourished, you're dehydrated, you, you've, you know, have not been sleeping enough. And so there's, you know, vitamins, get some food in you and sleep, but with, with actual opiates and with like alcohol withdrawal, things like that, like you actually do have like a very real medical need to be looked at and, and either weaned off with Suboxone or, uh, you know, Librium, um, and I don't think Librium, it's one of the, but uh, Ativan they will use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, other things. But I was fortunate enough that I, di- I didn't need to do that, you know, okay. on this last time. Yeah. Okay. So now I remember the question that I had. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> no, I appreciate you kind of filling in there. God, I feel like such an idiot sometimes. No, man. <laughs> shit. That's what we do, man. Squirrel. <laughs> Squirrel, I get it. <laughs> um, so when it comes to the addiction conversation, it, it seems like a lot of people kind of talk past each other here. Mm-hmm. So the way that I kind of come to understand it, and you can correct me because I, I imagine you're probably much more well-informed on this than I am. Um, it, it seems like the person chooses to do drugs, but they don't choose to become addicted, right? Because the addiction is a physiological response to your body from an external stimulus. So you choose to start doing the drugs, which everybody agrees, Hey, you should do it. But, um, then the answer should be, okay, well, how do you get rid of the physiological addiction? Because, um, I don't think people really understand unless they've kind of been in that situation. Like, um, the only thing I could really compare it to is to once again, bring it back to food is that I didn't understand when I was on a carnivore diet, why I would binge. I was binging because I wasn't eating enough throughout the week. And now that I'm more of a flexible dying advocate and I can have pretty much whatever I want, as long as I fit it in, then I don't binge because I don't feel compelled to do it. Um, 
what is kind of your take on the addiction and the the kind of that whole conversation? Because it seems like it's nuanced and a lot of people just kind of get shitty with each other unnecessarily. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it is a contentious topic. And I think the reason for that is like the people who are in the negative on, you know, kind of um, the process on or the, the, even the ability for somebody to get clean. The reason that they have that mentality is because they likely have a loved one or had a loved one that was in their life who refused to get clean. And so, you know, they were, they were more or less forced to, you know, kind of take this, this mentality. Whereas with the people who are in the affirmative that people can get clean and recover is a possibility. Um, the reason that they are that way is because they know people who had, you know, substance abuse disorder and uh, can't pull through it. And I think the reason that we see polar opposites in that is the same reason you see polar opposites in the gun control bait. Like who is, who has actually shot a gun before and who hasn't, who has spent time, you know, around the gun community and who has, who has lost a loved one to, you know, gun violence and, you know, who, who hasn't. Um, so that's just kind of like my uh, opening for that. But I think when it comes down to like what causes somebody to become addicted you really can't give a ham-fisted, you know, response to that, that blankets everybody. But one of the things that I can feel pretty confident in telling you is that a lot of the people lack healthy coping mechanisms, and they also lack any type of purpose in their own life. Um, for me, everything I ever tried to do that was, you know, positive, I fucked it up time and time and time again. But you know what I didn't fuck up? I didn't fuck up being a junkie. I was really, really good at that. And for a long time, I prided, I was like, I would pride myself on being a walking Wikipedia of the black market narcotics that were around, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I knew to do. You know, if you couldn't find a vein, here comes fucking Tweaker Drew. He's going to help you out, you know? And like, that was, that was kind of like a badge of honor I had. Um, and I can laugh about shit like that. You know, I can laugh about trying to rap battle people in World of Warcraft while spun out of my mind or doing an AMA on the old 4chan B boards. Like that was, that was, you know, the, the life that I had lived once upon a time. And, um, so I don't know. I had to throw that out there cause that shit's funny to me. You, you played World of Warcraft though? Oh bro. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh my God. Listen, spun, spun out of my mind. My, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> the, the, the the little added on there, but uh, no, my brother and I actually got World of Warcraft when we were, uh, God, we we're so young. I remember sitting down, I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and we had World of Warcraft before um, Burning Crusade came out. God, we're, we're totally nerding out now. And I sat down with two cases of Dr. Pepper and a bunch of vegetable soup and played World of Warcraft for two fucking days. <laughs> <laughs> dude that yeah, shit man. is real it's real i mean it is real for sure mm. yeah dude like uh yeah those those were those were some i got in right around cata cataclysm okay. and uh yeah i had a death night and was doing the whole doing the whole thing man it's <laughs> uh, just but um i don't even but anyway so i was i was good about being kind of like a clown you know, wearing, wearing the fact that I'm an addict on my sleeve, you know, throughout it all. 
I was really good at that, but I was not good at dealing with life on life's terms. Mm -hmm. I could not handle raw, unfiltered reality. That's why whenever I would hear stories about people who had found recovery or found this thing called uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, I just simply could not find myself fitting into that mold because I couldn't envision a life in which I didn't need something in order to just not want to crawl out of my own skin. Um, here's the thing, here's the thing that breaks through that for every single one of us, anybody who really breaks through addiction cannot, will, will tell you something similar. And that is I met someone somehow, some way that I was able to identify with a part of their story in which for me, it was a guy talking about, I used to steal people's dope and help them try to find it. And I was like, I did that shit too. Yeah, I get that. But then they talked about getting clean and they talked about this life they were living today. And I didn't know shit about that. But just the fact that they could actually mark off one of my qualifiers like that made me interested to kind of follow them and, and pay attention. But I've already added myself and saying, dude, I went to 20 different rehabs and I did. Like it took a long time for me to get clean, but Every one of those times I went in and checked in, when you go to treatment, they always bring in people from the outside, from a local recovery meeting or something, and they'll come in and they call it H&I or hospitals and institutions. And it's a, it's just a group of people sharing their story to people that are in recovery, um, newly in recovery. And every single time I heard one of those stories, man, there would be another part of my story getting laid out in front of me. And it was like, after enough times, I knew I could get it. So having the podcast, having been in recovery for this many years, having talked to so many people, I can confidently tell you that the majority of people simply didn't have the coping mechanisms in place to be able to deal with life. Um, and so I think that that's kind of where that addiction starts to take form, right? Like, I don't know how to handle this internal feeling, but this pill in my hand does, you know, and so I'm going to do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, um, yeah, like I said, I don't like, it quickly becomes disingenuous and that's kind of irritating because it's like, okay, well, why can't we think about the person that's suffering with an issue right now? Like I understand they made a bad choice, but in kind of like I was saying earlier, a lot of the boomer cons that I work with, they would tell you that you just take people out to the back and they deserve to be shot if they're on heroin, which is, such a shitty aspect because then it's like okay well let's turn this around because some of these people have duis that would say that and it's like well bro do you, <laughs> do, bro. Do, you do you not believe or, in redemption it, it, unless they are in peak physical condition too like let me find out you pulled through a mcdonald's drive-thru bro you better be i mean on top of the game as far as like taking care of your internal body and your mental self like man the thing is, is that we, it's real easy to jab your finger at the addict or the homeless junkie and say, they're fucking up, man. The only reason you're able to do that is because it's socially acceptable for you to kick them in the teeth. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't do that to the politicians who are clearly on fucking drugs. Like, dude, you and I both have seen them. I mean, Donald Trump, Jesus Christ, that dude was blitzed every day, son. And the only reason that he was, you know, it was acceptable for him to be because he's the president of the united states like i mean he's going to call him out on it man nobody like you you can get away with doing drugs you can get away Biden, with doing this Biden's the clintons drink the drink oh, chrome 
Yeah, dude. I mean, it's <laughs> for sure, though. For real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's oh. definitely something problem Biden up. I don't know what they got him on, but like when when he strings a coherent sentence together, like, oh man, they must have given him a strong <laughs> dose <laughs> today. That was the good shit. That was the good man. That was the top shelf, you know, the reserve stash right there. But um, but no, man, uh, and and I think it just it just comes back to that. It's real easy to knock somebody when you're not walking in their shoes. You know, yeah, it's really yeah. easy to do that. Um, but man, there's like we were talking about from the outset, there's a lot more nuance to what brings somebody into into the fold of uh, substance use disorder than just simply, oh, they made a choice. Like nobody, dude, not a single person was like, I'm going to be a junkie. Like I'm when they're going to school, man, we all we all had dreams and aspirations and shit just didn't work out that way for some of us. Right. And, and the most frustrating part to me is seeing people who don't want to give people that kind of olive branch and extend, you know, a hand up to somebody or, or say that people can't get better. And right. really, that's what everything should be about, right? We should always encourage people to be better. And I, I don't know, just the callousness towards others just always rub me the wrong way. And I'm sure some people would say, oh, you're a leftist because you believe in this or that. But like, I don't know, man. At the end Welcome. of the day, pe yeah, people are still people and you do have to hope for the best for everybody regardless. You know, like I hope even people that vehemently disagree with me or hate me, I, I still hope they're doing well. People that have crossed me in my past, I, I don't wish ill on anybody. And I feel like it's kind of reprehensible and it speaks more about you than it does the other people if you're wishing, you know, poor health on other people. I mean, there's a couple that I do. I'll just, I'm just playing. I'm just joking, but maybe, I don't know. Um, but they're other politicians. The will, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. One of the things I will say, so like even, even doing, you will not find anybody who is more empathetic towards somebody struggling with addiction than me. That being said, somebody who harms another individual while they're on drugs, DUI, causing a wreck, stealing from somebody all the way to the person leaving used syringes on a playground. All of that is not okay. People mm -hmm. should be held accountable for things that actually incur a victim. Right. You know, and I, I think that for some reason, man, like the reason that I land in the libertarian bracket when it comes to drug policy is that it's the only sane fucking stance I could find. It's not like, he was on drugs. He can murder half the fucking school. Like, no, you can't. Like, you still need to like figure out how to like not harm anybody else with your with your substance use. And if you're a parent, like, and you have very small children that you're supposed to be looking after, like, you need to be showing up for your responsibility or relinquishing that to a to a family member or putting them up for adoption or something. Like, just because you're on drugs doesn't give you a free pass to fuck with other people. You know what I mean? And so that's the other side of the coin. And I feel like that's the rational position, but man, you just, I don't know what it is, man. You find people post COVID, everything is so tribalistic. It's just oh, yeah. nutty, right? Like it's crazy. And um, yeah, that's one of the things that really pisses me off though, man, is that you got people that are like, excuse shit like you you know we see it on twitter all the time rolling through like the skid row in you know los angeles or wherever else and just you know homeless camps and like trash people shitting on the street and all this and like none of that's okay 
-hmm. you can't just like do that to somebody else's property, you know, and, and, you know, leave syringes sitting out for somebody to, you know, no, that's not okay. That's not acceptable. That's not harm reduction. That's, that's harm. You know, right. like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling, dude. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 dude, you're good. Um, so I guess we've been shooting the shit for a little bit now, but I also wanted to get your thoughts on, um, kind of the libertarian party, because I've seen you throw a couple jabs out here and there. And I think we largely agree. Um, and I don't think I've really laid this out on the podcast since it really happened, but, um, I'm getting more and more cautious with this seeming, I don't want to say necessarily alliance, but this growing affection for the populist right, where I see where people want to make this association, want to build this alliance. But what I get nervous about, and we were shooting the shit before I started recording, um, this Zionist neocon approach to China, right? Like this is kind of a big deal like you guys don't realize that if we elect all these super right-wing governors who are all definitive neocons like mastriano here in pa um while i prefer him to the leftist candidate if there is kind of this world war three scenario which is looking more and more likely and not that i'm trying to be alarmist um he would send people like me off to die without you know, blinking an eye. I mean, this dude's talked about um, eliminating Muslims from the world. I mean, he said some vile stuff. And Ron DeSantis, same exact way. He's a Zionist neocon. If you look at his foreign policy and his votes when he was in, I think it was Congress, um, it, it's abysmal. Um, you seem to share some of the similar concerns that the LP is perhaps trying to court a little too hard to the right. And that's not to say that we shouldn't. But it seems like we're tipping over to that a little bit too, um, a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, so culturally, I probably, I probably land a little bit more left than most culturally. But at the same time, dude, you know, and I'm, I will get. <laughs> I just had to preface. Sorry, dude. Like my brain is going a million miles a minute right now. Thinking about that's okay. This yeah. So, I lean lean left culturally. There is a difference in between rights, ha someone having rights, and someone be being accepted, right? And so it's when this any rights movement turned oh. into an acceptance movement that it became a fucking problem. And it was when there was people within the libertarian party when we were getting locked down in our homes, when these mandates were happening, when they were shutting down recovery meetings across the fucking country that led to the highest overdose rates we'd ever seen. And then we're talking about cultural left shit. I got a fucking problem with that. And that was my problem then. What's going on guys. Um, we're going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about these show sponsors and the way that you can support me and this podcast. Um, I'm sponsored by Axe and Sledge. I won't really focus in here, but uh, right here in my hand, I have their um, The Grind, which is essential amino acids and hydration. Um, feel free to check it out. Um, this is your mom's sweet peach. They have some awesome flavors and awesome names. They also have multivitamins, fat burners, creatine, beta-alanine, beta um, all sorts of different supplements to help you get all jacked and tan and help you become a 
person more full of uh, liberty and health as this show is about. So um, if you want to support me and support this podcast, then feel free to go to axonsledge.com and check out um, all their great supplements there and use code Matovic10, that's M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K-1-0 at checkout for a little discount and to let them know I sent you their way. All right, everybody. Thanks. Now back on to the show. Well, we fast forward to now. Guess what? We still have issues going on with drug policy. We still have issues going on with, with a lot of stuff here at home. Like, I don't like cops. I'm never going to fucking like cops. We need to end qualified immunity, a cab all day, you know? And I see this like shift into like, eh, maybe cops ain't all that bad. Most of them are bad, but maybe some of them ain't that bad. Two, Let's fucking call the cops on some of the homeless people. We can make an argument here. You know what I mean? Because Hop said this and that. That's where I start to have the problem. And the reason, like, did you see the um, Tea Party 2.0? Did you see that when that was starting to kind of gain some traction prior to Mises Caucus taking over? Like, Austin Peterson was uh, really pushing it for a while. There was a lot of people... Uh, pushing it was right when COVID was was raining, you know, the, the mandates and the lockdowns were happening. The problem that I've always had with courting the the hard right was that along a long enough timeline of coalition building, you're eventually going to wind up with, man, we really got to reelect Tom Cotton to have a seat at the table. Like, we're going to need to do this. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And like, yeah. So like Reed and uh, Pat and I all kind of talk about this Reed Coverdale and then Pat McFarlane um, are, are, there's almost like this divide and it's funny that you kind of brought up some of that stuff and and I I don't want this to seem like I'm giving you shit, but like, I, I don't want to say I necessarily fully disagree with that stuff. And culturally where I come from, um, I I have good relationships with people who are police, but you know, I, it seems like people just have different experiences depending on where they live. So I, I don't, you know, come down on people one way or the other. I just get concerned when people unnecessarily push people away, um, which I don't think you're doing, but um, it, it seems like there's this divide where w- some people are willing to say, like, there's a certain point where we have to say, like, we can't court people who are saying we should blow up Chinese warships. We can't court people <laughs> like there, there are seriously people who, who are saying, Oh, well saying that China is the number one threat. Isn't um, that's not provocative while we're, you know, encircling China and flying war or sailing warships to their straight and then flying, um, you know, spy planes over their country and do, you know, talking about arms sales to Taiwan, like there are Republicans who are like openly calling for this stuff and saying this is like good China policy. And then saying that Biden isn't tough enough on China when if you know anything about, you know, Biden in this last year with the China escalations, he's he's been worse than Trump. And there's people who are saying he's not being tough enough. And we need to get tougher on China. Um, I, I don't want to court these people. We need to call them out on their shit and say this is not acceptable. Um, if you this MAGA right wing wave is supposed to be anti war, but all of a sudden you bring up China or Iran, and now it's like the two thousands. And I hate to sound like yeah. a fucking leftist here, but you're starting to see people who are legitimately like racist against Chinese people. I'm not even fucking kidding. Like 
um this dude elijah schaefer says like i hate chinese people they're the enemy they're like people think that there's chinese spies everywhere at this point if this doesn't remind you of 2000 like 2000 like 2008 where every single muslim was a terrorist i don't know what will because it's getting it's starting to boil over and i think we're going to see a lot of propaganda about china and chinese people and I, I hate to sit here and just drive this point home but this is starting to happen and nobody is talking about it yeah no we we the the war drums are beating like we it's eerily similar to to a lot of the shit that we saw leading up to world war ii i mean eerily similar like you know um man i i, <laughs> I yeah I don't like it. I, I think anybody who would even consider making a preemptive attack on anybody is a fucking problem. Um, and, and that's what you see, both left and right. And that's the scary part. We don't have a large swath of the population that is like against aggression. It's just a disagreement about who that aggression should be towards. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah, um, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And we, so either which way you look at it you got you got two huge power structures that are wanting the same thing just in different backyards and uh it doesn't look good for us man you know and um it doesn't look good <laughs> so that's kind of where the stuff that i do comes into play and that not that like me giving out clean needles and narcan is going to stop us from going to fucking <laughs> war with russia mm -hmm. But man, at least at the end of the day, like I'm doing what I can do to make my little slice of the world a little bit better. And that's all I'm power. That's the only power that I have. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's fucking it, dude. And I think that's where we all need to kind of start and work the most. And that's kind of why I started this podcast to hopefully, I used to say I want to build better libertarians, but then I realized I can't do that. <laughs> but mm. what I can do is give people the tools to make themselves better. I can take you right to the water. And then all I can do is hope and pray that you drink. Um, do you got anything else to add? No, man. But I, just on that last point, you've done a hell of a job helping me out. Like, dude, I, I can't thank you enough um because man for real like going to the gym being <laughs> being that chubby dude who's clearly doesn't know what the fuck he's doing like it's intimidating so having some direction from from people like yourself and uh my good friend jake howard like man it's it's really helped me out a lot but uh that's all i got man so thanks a lot for letting me come on kyle yeah dude of course so i got a couple questions i ask um every single guest so uh, first things first i'll ask you what does liberty look like to you Liberty to me looks like uh, breaking your chains, breaking your chains, getting rid of the things that hold you down and hold you back. Nice. Um, what does health look like to you? Health? Health. Uh, health looks like getting to a place to where um, I don't feel like a bag of shit whenever I eat food, um, whenever I wake up in the mornings and I have energy. Um, and uh, being able to go throughout my day without drinking like seven bang energy drinks. Now I just drink like a cup of coffee. Like that's health to me, you know? Nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, to, to kind of add on there, don't uh, really worry about drinking an energy drink or two. I'm, I'm sure you know that. But yeah, they're, um, people think they're like the worst thing in the world for you, but they're really not that bad for you as long as you're not 
drinking seven a day. Yeah. <laughs> you, you seem to got that down packed. Um, yeah, yeah. Drew, where can everybody find you, dude? Uh, man, um, at Liberty Drew eighty four um, is where I'm at. I, I am the host of the Clean Libertarian podcast, but man. I just haven't had the bandwidth to really try to find new guests or anything, but there's some great episodes that are on YouTube and Spotify and, and everything else. So uh, absolutely peruse that. Nice. Well, I've definitely checked quite a few out myself. Um, and I definitely recommend everybody go check that out as well. So um, yeah, dude, if you ain't got nothing else to add, we'll uh, close her out and uh, shoot the shit a little on the other side. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks. Nice. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for checking it out. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share. Check out Axe and Sledge and LMNT for all your hydration and jack and tan needs. And until next time, everybody, take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.